Entertainment's podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Arguably, we've never seen such a complex rate of change in the way the payments industry is evolving over the last few years. This is our second episode reviewing the findings of the 2020 Business Payments Barometer, having surveyed 800 financial decision makers who've contributed their insight and predicting the key industry trends over the next 12 months. Hello, I'm Rich Williams, host of the Payments Podcast, and in today's episode, we'll be looking ahead at the changing payments landscape. I'm joined once again by Gareth Priest, Chief Platform Officer at Bottomline and the face behind the changing payment landscape section itself. Hi, Gareth, and welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Rich. Thanks very much for having me back. No problem. Very welcome. Um, let's start by looking at some of the upcoming payment initiatives. There's been a lot of these around. In, uh, in fact, we've had five new initiatives introduced since 2018. So how are companies preparing for these? Well, the barometer and um, you know, substance discussions show a few things that are happening. Um, some people term it kind of fatigue, that there's so much happening um, that people are getting fatigued. I think you have to dig in below that. Um, percentage is definitely dropping off in terms of people who feel they're prepared or are getting prepared. Um, and I think there's a couple of pieces that, that, that are interesting belief beneath that. First off is that larger businesses and larger corporates are, are better prepared, but that's sort of to be expected. They have more staff, they have dedicated teams to deal with this. I think if you take a big step back now, I think there's a few things that are happening. One is there is a lot, as you say, there's five. There's a lot of complication or seemingly complicated um, acronyms and so on that fly around with this. So I think people then have to kind of un- unpack it all and understand what it is. Um, and then I think there's also, this is just a natural wave. I think whenever we've had payments innovations, particularly in the UK, which is a which is a very innovative market for payments, you have this kind of wave at the beginning of um, all this stuff comes out. There's lots of noise and interest. Um, there's a certain amount of things that people have to do to be compliant and then it kind of plateaus. And I think we're in that plateau and that plateau is normally we've done what we need to do. We need to understand a little bit more. This is what businesses will say. Actually, what needs to happen is the market needs to pick up of innovations that sit around those um, initiatives and regulations. So new applications, new ways of working, and then they will kickstart again. So there'll be, you know, there'll be there'll be new product innovations that come out from financial technology companies. Banks will offer new things, and that will be another spur. So I think we'll see that kind of little pop of growth, which we saw plateau, which we're in now, and then it will. Then I think it will grow again as people get used to it. Um, any of the delays that are actually um, have got been gotten through, and actually real useful business applications come to light. Now, I think it would be, be safe to say that not everyone is responding to the the intense new regulations as, as rapidly as perhaps they could do. Um, what do you think, Gareth, are some of the causes of this inaction amongst businesses? Um, I think two, two, two things, really. One is um, understanding it and also some of the delays. So it probably doesn't help when people think that, you know, we don't really need to do anything now because there's going to be a delay because there has been lots of delays um, whether it's the new payments architecture, real-time payment um, um, uh, request to pay, and, and, and other initiatives like that, that that have been delayed and pushed out, I think that naturally gives businesses an excuse not to do things. Um, I think the other piece is the adoption will be different by different types of company. So, um, and I think you can split them almost into to really into two. 
if you're a company that has to make payments just because you're in business, so I don't know, you're a manufacturing company and whatnot, there's much, you're going to be a laggard of a doctor because until somebody's really spent the time to commercialize what the benefit to you is of using these new payment initiatives, why would you do it? I think if, you're, if your business is based around making payments, and some of that's obvious, so banks and payment companies, some of it's a little bit less, but insurance companies, um, loan companies, payday loan companies, etc., where actually a big chunk of, of what you do is take money in and put money out. I think they're going to be they're going to be the faster adopters as they look at how these new payment initiatives actually not just things they do to make payments, they actually become part of a compelling customer proposition for them. We know of exists one one example where um, you know, insurance companies are looking to adopt um, real-time payments because they can, you know, their boast is that by the time you've left the office with a claim or by the time you've finished um, going through the application online for a claim, they can have the money in your account. So it becomes a, a value proposition. And I think we'll see a faster adoption of companies like that um, using these new initiatives versus perhaps those that payments are a thing they have to do as part of business, not the core part of their business. So sticking to that theme then, um, and looking at real-time payments alone. In the 2019 barometer, we noted that about 53% of businesses were already making real-time payments, with a further 37% planning to take advantage of them in the following 12 months. Now, have we seen that 90% adoption rate come to fruition, or is adoption still somewhat muted? Um, we have not seen it come to fruition. The uh, the barometer um, and also the the, the volumes that we've seen going through faster payments, both through our system and through the the overall UK system, have been um, have, have shown that 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 adoption is relatively flat. Um, the actual volume of payments has gone up, so faster payments are increasing um, increasing in volume uh, across the UK. Um, but that's not really been driven by individual businesses adopting it. That's actually been driven by existing um, existing users of faster payments putting more and more volume through and increasing consumer adoption. I think particularly in the kind of gig economy um, and in subscription economy, um, and perhaps even more so with COVID, where more and more um, transactions are moving away from cash, um, that's driven an increase in volume. Um, It's not driven a massive increase in business adoption at this point. So considering the impact of COVID-19, do you think that that's likely to uh, cause an increase in the adoption or usage of real-time payments? Um, yeah, possibly is the answer. Um, uh, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a thing, there's a thought perhaps that as people look to manage and hold on to cash for longer, they might, they might use real-time payments. I, I know we'll perhaps talk about that in a while. Um, but I'm not sure that's really panning out. Um, I think what we might see is an increase in real-time payment volumes. I go back to this. If people are already doing it, and particularly if you're perhaps an online or e-commerce store or something that offers or leverages real-time payments as part of that, because more and more people are having to move to um, online commerce during COVID-19, that might see an uplift. I think what we'll see more of if we kind of try and forecast forward, and certainly in my part of the um, of the barometer was thinking about what this looks like over the next 12 to 18 months. I actually think we might see more real-time payments starts to really become even more interesting when it's linked to some of the other initiatives. So when it's linked to things like request to pay or it's linked to things like the open banking initiative. So um, I think when we, we think about initiatives overall, it, 
whilst they're all individual, they actually, is, you have to look at them in the composite to see how they might change the kind of UK economy or the UK payments um, way of working. And, and I think when you start to see those things knitted together, so when you can actually request a payment with your invoice and somebody say, yes, I want to pay that and I need to pay it now or part pay it now, that's more likely to be moving towards more of a real-time payment because the whole transaction becomes more conversation in real time as opposed to perhaps in the business to business world at the moment is you send a paper invoice then it's keyed in somewhere and then somebody approve a payment and then it's sent through backs three you know three days later on and so on that's a very offline um kind of asynchronous process i think when we start seeing more of that um kind of synchronous real-time process that's when we'll start to see that kind of next wave of growth of real-time payments now, we've spoken in the past, and I'm sure we'll continue to do so long into the future, about uh, late payments and some of the initiatives uh, to, to resolve that. Now, have we seen any improvements there, Gareth? Um, I believe it was in 2019, 92% of businesses uh, openly admitted to paying some suppliers late, perhaps deliberately, for strategic reasons. So what's the trend looking like now? Not great, is the honest answer. It's marginally better. Um, it looks like it's dropped this year to 89%. Um, but, um, you know, really we're still, we're still talking a very high percentage, um, of, um, of businesses saying they pay suppliers late. Um, what has been, and this is, remember this, this survey was done pre COVID. So we can only assume, and, and frankly, we know from working with industry that that's got worse as certainly in the opening stanza of COVID where everybody tried to kind of hold on to cash, um, um, during those kind of opening months, few weeks, and people were trying to work out what it was going to look like. So I'm sure it's got considerably worse over a short period. Um, but yes, as they look at year on year, 92% to 89%, um, obviously the bigger impact, I think it's I mean, intuitive and the, the numbers show that the bigger impact are in the small businesses, small and medium-sized businesses. Um, and I think there's a few reasons for that, which we've been able to dig into. Um so the first one is um, there's more small and medium-sized businesses. Second one is actually to do with um, kind of supply chain and kind of power dynamics. Um, so, you know, small business often, and the, the Small Business Administration has, has kind of backed this up, they, they kind of, they have a choice between either losing the business um, and not being on the preferred list of a, of, a, of a larger company or living with the fact that things come a little later. Um, and I think the other bit and, you know, the other side of that coin is if you talk to kind of the treasury groups who typically are more in those larger businesses, um, sometimes those are negotiated. So actually in that 89%, um, there will be a tranche of those that are actually negotiated so that there's, um, you know, they've, they're, they're paying later, but that's part of the deal. Um, the other and probably um, is less about somebody sitting there making um, kind of hard decisions about not paying things although I'm sure that happens, it's more about process inefficiency. So it's more about the invoice getting lost kind of in amongst the big business and people not approving it. So it's actually almost everything leading up to the payment that sometimes causes that delay. Um, so um, I think there's a, there's a lot to fix in that. And I'm, I'm not sure that the current tools that are being used, either the actual process automation tools or more importantly, the legislative tools, um, are actually having the effect that they want them to have at the moment. Now, as you said, the 
research was actually compiled and collected before COVID, but um, we we can't avoid the elephant in the room. And we know that it's impacted some businesses uh, significantly more than others. So how can those organisations in, for want of a better term, survival mode right now, manage their cash flow, given what we can see in the data? Well, it's a tough answer because I think there's... um there's some technical things you can do and I think there's some there's actually some payment initiatives that are coming up that will will aid and potentially aid smaller businesses um, so let's kind of, let's link those two things together perhaps so the, the previous question about late payment and process inefficiency and then how cash affects so I think there's two things happening um, or can happen one is um, that the supply chains the overall end-to-end supply chains need to work together. So these large businesses, and it's kind of easy to perhaps demonize them and think they sort of sit there just kind of bullying their supply chains. The, the reality is, um, whilst they're going to be very commercial and hard-nosed, it's actually in their interest for their supply chain to survive and thrive. Um, there's more money lost for a large corporation if their supply chain breaks down and they have to stop manufacturing or stop building or stop doing something versus the money they might save by holding on to cash for an extra 30 days. So there's a balance to be struck there. Um, a good example would be um, Taylor Wimpy. So they have decided that obviously they're going to come out of COVID, building will start up again they've realized that their supply chain was actually at risk because they had obviously a lot of smaller businesses in that supply chain. So they, they've actually established a pay it forward um, approach where they're working with their suppliers to actually continue to bill and pay them as if they were doing work, kind of prepay them for work in order to make sure that when they do start up again, that these supply chains exist. So I think that's one which is perhaps more of a, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it'd be nice to say there's a simple technical solution some of it is maybe more that the supply chain having to work together and, and come up with the, the right kind of modus operandi to get through this. There are, however, some technical initiatives that are um, that are happening now and actually launched now in May 2020. And one of those I mentioned a little earlier on is this request to pay. And um, request to pay is is a service where you, you literally can, as the name suggests, request to pay. You can send a bill and ask specifically for a payment or a part payment um, for that. And it actually makes it more of a real time. So think of this more of a, as a, um, you know, rather than an invoice as a piece of paper, an invoice more almost like having a, a WhatsApp conversation um, in, in, is a way of thinking about it um, between the two organizations. And I think that can do a few things. One is it will give a lot of visibility to the billers and particularly in the SMB market um, to be able to see the bills that are going out. Two is if you think about one of the causes of the late payment is process inefficiency at the payer end. Well, actually having that kind of synchronous view, being able to say, this bill's gone to the wrong person, we need to send it to somebody else, you know, I'm not the right guy for it, um, you know, this is when I'm going to pay it. I think it becomes a lot more transparent and it'll allow the billers to, A, have a view of that, but B, if there are things, you know, they've got the bill wrong or there's going to be a part pay or, or something like that, they can see that problem and fix it real time. And I think those um, those two things together, and they kind of link in, is if you've got a, a better, ele- almost conversational electronic relationship, that will help um, improve the supply chain relationship. And then actually the importance of supply chain and making sure that if you're a large business, your supply chain is intact moving forward. I think those two things together will go some way to perhaps starting to point to a way to alleviate the cash crunch. Thanks, Gareth. Really interesting response there. Um, now, finally, let's look at the adoption of international payments, uh, an area of interest that uh, dropped off from 2019. 
In fact, this year's report predicts a further drop in terms of prioritisation of future adoption of international payments in 2021. So what do you think might be accounting for that? Yeah, that's kind of interesting because you would expect, and I think we did expect, and have seen overall, international trade increasing. It's a secular trend um, to a global, you know, towards a more globalised economy over the last 20, 30 years. So I think um, I think there's two or three things that are, 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 are happening to that probably cause a little bit of a pause. So just to get the, the, the numbers right, the pause we're seeing is in is the uptake of new international. So it's new businesses deciding they're going to make international payments, not necessarily the overall volume. The overall volume of international payments is, continues and I think continues to, to grow certainly on a on a trended basis. But I do think there's a few headwinds that are out there at the moment. Um, one is over the last two years, there's been con- continued pressure on on global trade, um, more protectionism, more trade wars, and so on. Those overall obviously have a dampening effect just on the volume of trade that's going on, which has obviously a dampening effect on international payments. So I think that's one. I think Brexit, as far as the UK concerned, definitely had um, an impact. Um, you know. People not sure about what their um, international supply chains might look like. Um, I think the lack of clarity around what the you know customs, customs unions, and so on and so forth, um, and what that would all look like has probably impacted. Certainly, people setting up new, more complicated international supply chains. Um, and then the third is probably less to do with the macroeconomic environment and more to do with just the fact that the the actual process of making international payments is still pretty inefficient it's still pretty clunky it's still fx risk and so on and so forth around it so um that kind of smoothing effect that needs to happen from a solution provider whether it's a financial services solution provider or technology solution provider that still needs to go some way and we've seen it we've seen advances of that particularly in the consumer world so um kind of banks or pseudo banks like revolut who launched particularly around being able to make really easy international payments as a consumer have created that kind of um, facade if you like over the complexity and made it much much simpler and and, then, and there's others out there that have done that so it's it's clearly an area still of great interest um, and I think there'll be continued to be innovations in and around that area to make it simpler um, you know is one that we've been working on with visa visa b2b um, swift themselves have been working on ways to make international payments simpler so I think that whole, the whole um, approach to how we make international payments is going to get better over the next coming couple of years. I think it's going to get simpler, cheaper, more transparent. And I think also we'll need to see the macro environment, whether it's you know sorting out what Brexit really looks like and also the kind of trade wars and everything settling down. I think we'll see that come back up again and tick back up. Gareth, thanks so much for joining us again today and taking us through another very interesting section in this year's report. And I hope you'll come back and contribute again at some point in the near future. I'd love to. Thanks very much for having me. So we'll be releasing a final episode from the fraud section of the 2020 Business Payments Barometer very soon. But if you just can't wait until then, you can download this year's full report on the allnewbottomline.com website. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. But in the meantime, you can listen to more episodes on all things payments at the touch of a button using your preferred provider. And we'll see you all next time.
Entertainment Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.